If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I believe we will begin this morning something in the middle of a thought in the scripture, but the beginning of the thought that the Lord has placed on my heart to bring to you today. And before I read, I, I do want to ask a question for you to consider, for all of us to consider, to think about all the things that you have, all, all the things that you would call yours, your money, your, your clothes, your, your cars, your houses, your property, your toys, your trinkets, your jewelry, all the things, and then not just the, the things you could put your hands on, but the relationships that you have, the, the thoughts that you have, the joys here in this world that you have. I want you to think about all of them, if you could, and just list them perhaps mentally in your mind. I have, I have financial resources. I have a home that I, I get to sleep in and keeps me out of the weather. I, I have a job. I, I have friends. I have a spouse. I have children. I have this. I have that. And, I mean, you, you probably would be surprised how long it would take you to finish listing the things that you have. I have aches and pains at 50 that I didn't have when I was 20. I have thoughts mentally and emotionally and feelings that I didn't have then, but I, I have them now. And, and, and things particularly that are tied to this world, of all of those things, what on that long list is time not going to take away from you? Time is going to take every one of them away from you. It's, it's the great taker of things. It takes your youth and vitality and strength. I helped the boys move in yesterday, and my youngest, I will go on record just to say, you didn't do too bad for somebody who's 50. <laughs> I've got another conversation to have with him about that later, but no, I understand. I completely understand. They don't have the strength. Time has taken that from me and will continue to do so and I recognize that time has taken relationships from me no doubt I participated in some of those relationships that are separated we get busy with our lives we don't stay in touch with people we don't recognize people that come into church that we should time takes things from us and it's going to take everything in this world from you. Ultimately, we know one day, one day time is going to take the last of us, which is our life here, this physical life. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you that. Yet we live so much of our day and, and years investing and considering only the things that we know time is ultimately going to take from us anyway. We don't put first what can't be taken 
from us by time. We typically put things in first in the first place of our priority list and things that we know eventually are going to take they're going to be taken from us. I, I remember I at least had something of an idea of this. No doubt in my youth, I didn't fully understand everything I needed to, but my last year of high school, you know, you get to that point and maybe others come to the, or clued in long before I was, but you get to the point where you say, I'm going to graduate from high school and nobody's going to care how popular or unpopular I was. The day after, nobody's going to care. And then we think about how time is going to take away even our not only our lives, and I know this is going to sound very depressing, and I don't, I hope it's not. It, it is if, if all you're interested in is this life. I, I recognize that this will be depressing to you. Not only is time going to take your life, it's going to take the memory of you here. Far quicker than you would imagine. Your children, your grandchildren, perhaps, might remember you for time, for a time, until time takes it. Until time takes it. We spend the years of our life, the psalmist says, as a tale that is told. It's like we tell this story about this person, and, and that's good, and it's important, and I don't want to take away any of that, but all that you have, time is going to reach its hand to you, and it is going to take it and pull it away from you. And you will not be able to do anything to stop it. I read just this last week, or a couple of weeks recently, of a man who sold a business, he became a billionaire, and he's, he is now, he's got a starting a new business. And his, his business, and I don't remember who this was, by the way, but his business is now to do everything he can to stop the deterioration, to stop time, is what he's trying to do. He's trying to live forever. I think what an absolute insane thing to do. Number one, who would want to, really? And number two, we know it's an impossible task. Silly to think. But there'll be hundreds of millions of dollars thrown into it. And no doubt there have been many more. So time is going to take everything from you. Except if you know the Lord. If you know him, time can never take that away from you. It does not have the strength, the ability to do so. And in these passages, as we pick up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and I just want to read through verse 14, we find some things that we have in Christ. These are three sentences, these eight verses. Three sentences that begin with, in him. And I want to encourage you today that if you have these things, if you possess these things in Christ, in him, of course, the him that this is referring to is Christ. If you have these three things, you have them now, in this moment, you will have them every day you're in this life and you will have them eternally. And these are wonderful things to know. And, and only about the things that we have in him can it be said we will never be without it. All the other things in our life, we are going to 
be taken or will be taken from us by time in him verse 7 we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Number one, in him we have redemption. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Secondly, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Third, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Third, in him we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, or I believe as the King James says, the promise of the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit himself. So we have, if you know Christ, you have three things that time will never take from you. If you don't know Christ, you have the opportunity to find and to possess these three things in Christ. And they're the only things that you will possess both now and eternally. And the three things that we have, and to many this is going to be ground that has been well trod, you know these things, but perhaps as Peter said, it's good that we stir up our remembrance of these things to remind us what we have in him. And the first thing that we are told that we have in Christ, and by the way, there are many today that will tell you a lot of other things and give you other reasons to become a Christian or to follow Christ or to do these things so that he might give you things in this world, the, the prosperity gospel, as it is called. But why would a God who is eternal, who wants you and I to have an eternal relationship with him, why would he be primarily interested in giving you or me things he knows time is ultimately going to take from us anyway? Why would that be the first on the list with God? I don't think it is. I think he blesses different people with different things here. He's blessed me with different material things in this life and, plus, and, and security or, or whatever we might look at. A, a home, he gives us these things. But this is not what he ultimately wants to give us. First and foremost, he wants to give us and provide for us redemption. The word redemption, it means to be set free. To be set free. Until you know Christ, you are not free. You are enslaved to sin. All are in need of redemption. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the gospel message. This is how it starts. 
We all are in need of redemption. And I thought as I was praying and preparing to come this way, I thought, what would be the best way to control a slave? What would be the best way to enslave an entire people and to control them thereafter? I thought, well, I think one of the ways that it would be the best way to control a slave or to enslave an entire group of people is to convince them they're not actually slaves. To hide from them their slavery. To make them think they're free when they are not. And the enemy does that with us, I think. He tries to convince us that we are free. When in reality, we are chained and shackled by sin no one had to teach you how to sin you just did it because you're a sinner i sin john tells us anybody who says they are without sin what are they a liar and the truth is not in them we are all in need of being set free from the bondage of sin in ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 verse 20 or excuse me yeah chapter 7 verse 20 we read this surely listen listen to the words of the wise here surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins that's about as plain as you can say it there's not a single one. There's none righteous, no, not one. You're not an exception, and neither am I. And so we are slaves of sin. We're born in sin, shapen in iniquity. In sin our mothers conceived us. And so we are we're sinful people. I, I, I understand again that many want to skip past this Reality and try to present a gospel message that feels better, that sounds better, that makes us feel more comfortable with ourselves and pat one another on the back and say, we're really not all that bad. In fact, we're pretty good people when you really think about it. Good old boys and good little girls. And I remember one day I got through preaching a sermon and it was the end and a lady came up to the church and was interested, introduced me to her, to her daughter and she said, she's not saved, but she's a good little girl. And, and I know what she was trying to say and I certainly didn't, didn't cause any difficulty there. But, but I, I want you to understand. The Bible's true and it, it tells us surely there's not a righteous man on the face of the earth that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not an exception. I'm not an exception. The Pope is not an exception. Hitler was not an exception. No one is an exception to that rule. And you can't talk about the gospel without understanding that fact. Because in Christ, what do we have first? Redemption. Freedom. We've been set free. In Him we have redemption. And by the way, not in anything else. Not in being good in the eyes of others. Not coming to church or tithing or, or being good at work or, or buying or, and, and, and giving a lot of money to, to, to charitable organizations and to being a good neighbor. Those aren't the things in which we have freedom and redemption our freedom and redemption is in Christ and Christ alone. When I go to heaven, it will be on the strength of the redemption I found in Christ, not in anything else that I did, not in any good that I may have even done by His help, but only through Christ. 
So I ask you today, I began and asked you, what are the things that you have? And then for us to wrestle with and acknowledge and understand the undeniable fact that time is going to take all of those things away. I ask you this morning, do you have this one thing that time can't take? This first thing that's listed that we have in Christ, redemption. Do you have freedom? Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from from the trespasses of our, of our sins and freedom from from the fear of the future fear of what comes the mount, the very moment that we close our eyes in death and then open our eyes in eternity are you free from any fear of that moment have you been set free by the redemption that is found alone in Christ and that that redemption is not free. It's free to us in a sense. But it's not free. The price of our redemption is the blood of our Redeemer. His blood shed on the cross of Christ. Why? Because only through the shedding of blood can sin be atoned for. That is, the, that is the will of God who spun all this into existence by His word and who oversees it and who holds it in his hand. There is no forgiveness of sin where there is no shedding of blood, and your sin will be paid for either in his shed blood on the cross through which you find redemption, or it will be paid with your own. But it will be paid. The penalty of sin, the balances will be balanced. Sin will find judgment in God. It just will. In Him, though, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So many times when people talk about their salvation, what's the word that is almost always present not always and i'm not giving you a formula i'm not telling you you have to use this word but i i think there's going to be an understanding of this the word that is so often used is peace i found peace with god it's okay between him and me i have been forgiven by him i have had my trespasses forgiven because i found redemption in him and all according, as it says here, to the riches of His grace. Didn't merit it or earn it, never could. This is what I have in Christ. The first thing that I acknowledge that Paul writes to the Ephesians that I have, I pray that you have as well, is that you have found redemption in Christ, freedom in Him. Who the Son sets free, as John said, is free indeed. And if you have that freedom, I pray this morning that it would well up in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and give you encouragement and strength to remember that you can stand on a mountaintop and say, I have been set free. I'm free from this world. This world does not chain me any longer. My sin does not chain me any longer. I still wrestle with this flesh, and I still sin every day. But there is a soul that the Lord has saved that is perfect and righteous. And I believe when I stand before him, I am going to be, I'm going to hear the words, it is well. Come and enter in, you blessed of my Father. I have been set free. I was set free when I was 11 years old. And I have found redemption in Christ. And time will never take that from me. Ever, ever, ever will that be taken from me. 
I pray that you have that in your heart today. That you know him. That you've been set free from sin. That you've had your forgiveness. That you've found forgiveness in him. That you've asked him for such. In humility and godly sorrow that works repentance. To find him today. So I have that first. And I pray that you do as well. In him we have redemption. But verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. If I recall correctly, I think that's all one Greek word. We have obtained an inheritance. We have been chosen. That's what's in the Greek. We have been chosen by God. God made us and has given us an inheritance. We have been chosen. He has, he has written in His divine will that we have an inheritance in Him that fades not away. And so time can't take my inheritance from me. My inheritance in heaven is secure, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But for, the second thing I have is that I've been, I've been made an inheritance. I have an inheritance from God waiting for me. And this is, this is an inheritance, again, that was chosen by God according to His will. And this is important for us to see at the end of verse, seven, or, uh, verse 11. In Him we've obtained an inheritance, and he, and he says more about that inheritance, and He says that He does all these things according to the counsel of His will. What is our inheritance? It is the will of God. What is the will of God? Scripture tells us in many different places what His will is. First of all, we'll say it this way, 2 Peter 3, 9, that well-known scripture, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you are breathing today, if you are thinking, if you can hear these words, and you can think these words, you've been a you are a human being created in the image and the likeness of God. If you are one of those, God's will is that you be saved. His will is that you would find repentance. That is His will. His will is that you find an inheritance in Him. That you have an inheritance that you know ultimately one day you are going to inherit the blessings that God has promised to you. And I have that and time will not take it away from me. The only thing time can do is bring me to it. To this very inheritance that I anticipate and long for and am looking forward to. Do you possess that? But you know, it wasn't just the New Testament that talks about these things, of this inheritance and God's will that all be saved. In Ezekiel 18, 23, Have I any pleasure, God asks, in the death of the wicked? Have I any pleasure? It's a rhetorical question. No, He doesn't. His pleasure is not in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather that he should turn from his way and live. God's will is that you live, not just here in a life that time can take away from you, but to live life that time cannot take from you. Do you know that? Do you possess that? Is that your promise? Not just mine or someone that you know. Not just grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or Sunday school teacher or preacher. Is this yours? Do you know this? Do you possess this inside of you? 
And no matter what's going on outwardly in the world, you know you possess these two things that we've talked about so far. Redemption, freedom, and freedom, not only freedom, but an inheritance that I'm looking forward to. It's been said that human beings need something to look forward to. I believe that's probably true. And I want to tell you, you need to look forward to something that time can't take away from you. You need to look forward to something that time will never be able to remove from you. And that is an inheritance that God has promised and given to those who know Him. Do you have a promise of an inheritance? That God's will is that you be saved and that you came to Him and you found Him. And you know that in your own heart. And you're convinced of it. And you're certain that you'll follow him and trust him. Because I'll tell you again today, as I said so many other times, you're trusting something. You're trusting something. I pray it's tr you're trusting God. So in him we have redemption, and in him we have obtained an inheritance. And verse 13 begins this third sentence of the third thing that we have in Christ. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I know there's a prepositional phrase in there we'll talk about because it's important. But ultimately what he says, what I have in Christ, third thing that I have is the sealing of the Spirit of God. When the Lord saved me, that's what happened. The Spirit of God bore witness with my spirit that I was His child, that He knew me, that I knew Him. And, and there were so many things I couldn't talk about in that moment because, because I didn't know all of that, that I hope that I have learned and, and know now. But in that moment, I knew I knew that I had met God. I knew He had met with me. I knew that when one moment I was shackled and the sin that, that I understood was in me, that it was between me and God, that, that without salvation I had no hope of heaven. I knew when at one moment that was true when redemption came and freedom came and peace came. I knew that he had done a work in my heart. I knew that he had done what only he could do. Do you have that? Do you have this sealing of the Holy Spirit? And a seal does many things. A seal does many different things. Number one, it distinguishes you. A seal distinguishes something. You place a seal on something, this is, this is what this is. And, and when the Spirit of God sealed my soul, He planted upon my heart, he, he, he gave me an inheritance, and He placed within me something of the likeness even of His Son. He placed a seal on me. I am His now. It distinguishes me. You know, when you get saved, you don't, you don't get saved by works. We know this. We know it's true. You could never do such a thing. But when you get saved, there ought to be something of a seal of God on your life. That, that I'm His. That it's recognizable. 
Even if somebody doesn't understand something all about, about what you are, what, about what you're about, there's a seal on you that the Spirit of God has placed there, and there's just something about you that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, by the way. The Holy Spirit Himself, not itself, Himself, as He places upon you the seal of God, and it distinguishes you, and it makes you distinguishable. It seals, and it puts up that seal upon you. Not only does a seal distinguish and identify, a seal authenticates. This is this is legitimate. This is true. This is this is you can be certain about this. Back in the day when the king would have the seal and he'd have his stamp, this is with the king's seal of approval. Well, our king, our God through the Holy Spirit, in our hearts and upon our souls, seals us and authenticates us and allows us to be certain. Where is your certainty in God? I pray that it's certainty that's based upon the sealing of the Spirit of God in your heart. Amen. He sealed it. That you came to him when you understood your sin. You cried out to him. And that's what he says, by the way. We'll, we'll say the third thing here. A seal protects as well. It distinguishes and identifies. It authenticates. And among other things, it also protects. It makes sure that it stays protected. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for the children of God. I can't be plucked out of my Lord's hand. Because the Holy Spirit has sealed me to the day of redemption. I have a sure promise. I don't tiptoe. So many people I've met in my life. I'll just I've shared this story to, it was in Ghana many years ago now, and a lady said, I asked her, she said she was having headaches, and she asked for, um, and I said, well, I've got Tylenol. And, you know, they were wanting me to, pray and heal her is what she was looking for and I said well I've got some Tylenol I, I can't heal you but then I got to asking her uh, and she says I'm uh, sickle cell anemia I think or whatever it was and she had to have Advil and said long story short I began to talk with her and I said well are, do you know the Lord are you saved and have you been saved and she says oh yes and I said well how do you know w when did it happen I said I want it's wonderful I want to hear about it she says well I got saved and I don't sin anymore and I went well, how do you, how's that work? <laughs> I haven't experienced that to be the case. I've been sealed, but I don't have to tiptoe through life. I, I, I want to be distinguishable. When God saved me, he changed me. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I become more like him. I want to be like him. I, I desire in my heart to be more like my Savior. I, I want to, to show people him through me. I don't want them to see me. I want to see a reflection of, of Christ. And, and I want them because Christ loves them. And by the way, I, maybe this will help you. I don't know. It's out of left field. Every person you talk to in your life is a creature created by God. Every one of them that you talk with is somebody created by God. He wants to save them. They're going to be somewhere for all of eternity. And so we want to be a reflection of Christ. We want to point people to Him. But my Christian life is not to impress people with my holiness. It's not to impress people with, boy, He's a really good person. What a small thing to think about. 
And you say, what do you mean? Me. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't deserve any headlines in the paper. Christ does. Jesus does. He wants to give you these things. And, and He protects you. The Spirit of God protects you. Once you've been saved, the Spirit of God holds you. So yes, we still sin, and we ought to seek repentance. And by the way, if there's not a, a frequent repenting going on in your life, I would say you're probably in a terrible shape. Isn't that odd? Well, I don't repent because I don't have anything to repent for. Oh, you're mistaken, no doubt. And you're so far from seeing it that you're even further than you would be if you weren't on your knees asking God to forgive. And so we want to restore that relationship. And yet, we're sealed by the Spirit of God. And when I die and this body, what has it done then? Has it not paid the penalty of sin? Death? It's been paid. My soul will never die because the penalty was paid on the cross of Calvary. And when the Lord saved me, he placed it on my, by the Holy Spirit this seal that distinguishes, that authenticates, and that protects and guides. And when, when did this happen? That's that phrase that's so important in verse 13. In him you also, comma, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. That's when this sealing happens. When you hear the word of truth. I remember, again, when I was saved, when I was 11, I'd heard many sermons by that point. I'd been in church. We were small town, Missouri, Mount Vernon. Our life revolved around church. Our friends were in church. Our I mean, it was a small community, and I think that's an advantage, by the way. I think, well, we're disadvantaged here. We pray that God would help us to get through those and beyond those. But in a small-town community, I mean, church was, it was life, really. I mean, it, it was social life. It was what was going on. And, and so I heard message after message after message. I, I, I appreciated the, the preacher that, that preached. I, I appreciated the things that I had. And I mean, as a little kid, I, I, I liked summer camp. I, I liked the things we did. I liked Bible drill. I liked all these things. I heard message after message after message. But I would not heard the gospel until the Spirit of God let me know what that gospel really meant. Jesus died for my sins. The Son of God left heaven above to come and to live a life here so that he might be the sacrifice that no other could ever be. To live perfectly before his Father, to lay his life down willingly for all men, but not just all men, on that day for me. And so what did I say? I, I'd gone to the front of the church as a very small child. I'd been baptized. I did all the things I was supposed to do, but I... I looked to the, my best friend on my right, and I just said, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. And that day I went forward, prayed, cried out to the Lord, and he saved me in peace. I just remember that day, and just to share a little bit about it, I was praying. I didn't know what to do. 
but I knew I wanted, I knew I needed to be saved, and I knew I wanted to be saved. And so I was just praying. Just praying. Just, God, I need to be saved. I want to be saved. I, I, I'm not saved. I, maybe just the acknowledgement of that and the understanding of it. But it wasn't just about seeking a thing. It was seeking Him. I needed Him. I, I needed to make it right with Him. I, I was a sinner in His eyes. I didn't need to make, make it right with other people, perhaps. That, that Certainly at that point, what I needed to make right was, was my relationship with God. I was lost, and I was a sinner. And then all of a sudden that day, John 3.16 rang so differently to me. His will is that all should come to have everlasting life, to, 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 to believe and to repent, and, and it was different that day. And I remember that day, I remember that peace that came, and, and I don't remember all of why. We usually had activities after our chapel service in that, in that camp, but for some reason that day they sent everybody back to their dorm, and I just remember laying in that bunk bed, the top bunk bed, because I was, I was the older kid around so I could pick, and I was just laying on that bunk bed, and I just remember feeling just being so at peace, so at peace, and so thankful. And 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 from the you know from that day you know these words that we read in this Bible that I've been taught I, I couldn't couldn't get enough. And it, it just so 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 different. And 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 I was I was saved, and I knew it, and it happened when I heard. The gospel. I heard the truth. But not only does it happen after, does the sealing of this, of the Holy Spirit happen after hearing the gospel, but believing it. Believing it. I am resting my eternity on Jesus Christ, and it is a sure foundation. It is this faith is not empty. It is substance. It is the evidence of things not seen. I know in whom I have believed, as Paul said to Timothy, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. A man who lived long before that, Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he does, and I'm going to see him in the latter day. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. We make our way through this world, and sometimes there's 90-degree turns, and sometimes we feel like we go backwards, and we go forwards, and we go up, and we go down, but we're making our way through this world, and those who know God, who have these three things that time can't take, we know where it ends, with God in heaven. Because he has saved us. And when I heard the gospel, which begins with the fact that we are lost without Christ and lost in sin, and then I believed in Christ. It was sealed with this promise. And it's a possession that I have that time cannot take away from me and that no man can take away from me. A quote from that missionary, Jim Elliot. He is not a fool who forsakes everything to gain that which he cannot lose. He's a fool who rejects God to gain things he cannot keep. Do you know these things? Do you possess them? Only you know the answer to that question. I don't. I can see evidence. I think we are told to judge fruit and to be discerning about that. And yet, your heart, 
and mine, the only, the only one it is truly an open book to is God. Even those we know really well. Those places in our hearts, only God knows. But God does know, and you know, if you possess these things. If you don't, I'd, I'd encourage you to seek him. Until you do. And the good news of the gospel is this is what God wants. He wants you to have these things. He wants you to give these things that time can't take away from you so that you don't have to live in fear of all the things that time is one by one going to take from you because you have a hope in heaven and with God in Christ. So that's all we could.